Hi and welcome to the first of four special edition EVJ podcasts. These are based on the review of the year session, which was originally given at this year's Beaver Congress. They'll cover the recent literature in four different categories. The moderator of this session was Beaver's president, Jonathan Pycock. And in this podcast, Madeline Campbell will review the past year's literature based on reproduction. Madeline is a specialist in reproduction, animal welfare, ethics and law. Thank you. Well, so my um, review of the reproduction section of this morning session, I've decided to concentrate on recent publications relating to uh, what's going on in the mayor's uterus and particularly to treatments which we use in the mayor's uterus and to endometrial health. And I'm very conscious in doing so that I really don't have time to critique uh, the papers in great detail, but I hope that by at least outlining their content, um, I might whet your appetite to go and read them in full detail if you haven't already come across these papers for yourselves. The first couple of papers which I want to review actually both take their origin in a paper which was uh, presented in this very session here at Beaver uh, back in 2011. This is a paper um, from Wilshire and Allen which looked at the intuitive administration of plant oils inhibiting mediolysis in the mare. And as some of you, I'm sure, will remember, um, essentially what this paper showed was that in 92% of mares, intrauterine infusion with either fractionated coconut oil or peanut oil on day 10 after ovulation uh, seemed to induce luteostasis when measured by serum progesterone levels. So in other words, it prolongs the diastrus or the interovulatory period, which is obviously useful in people who are in people who are trying to suppress oestrus in their mares during competition because oestrus is causing behavioural problems. So the first recently published paper which takes its origin in that paper of Wilshire and Aaron's is this one from Gail de Amarin and co-workers, um, which looked really in more detail at the use of fractionated coconut oil um, as an intraduterine infusion um, and a way of suppressing oestrus in mares. And the objective of this paper was really to better understand what was actually going on in the uterus and the ovaries uh, when this apparent effect on luteostasis occurred in response to the fractionated coconut oil infusion. And the hypothesis was that intrauterine coconut oil administration on day 10 after ovulation would proteal, uh, prolong the luteal lifespan and, and this was what was new about it, that that would occur in a dose-dependent fashion and would therefore result in higher serum progesterone levels uh, in the treated mares than in untreated mares at the expected time of luteolysis. They basically had uh, 15 reproductively normal mares which were divided into three groups, a control group, a group which received one mil of fractionated coconut oil infused into the uterus at 10 days after ovulation, and a group which received half a mil of the same oil infused at 10 days after ovulation. And the mares were examined by ultrasonography every day until they ovulated, um, and then every other day from ovulation onwards, with blood samples being taken on days 10, sorry, 11, 13, 15, and 17 after ovulation. So in other words, days 1, 3, 5, and 7 after the treatment at day 10. And what they were looking for were differences between the groups in the days to luteolysis um, and the effect of day and of treatment on progesterone levels. Additionally, they took endometrial biopsies from some mares, in um, two mares, they took endometrial biopsies and cytology samples one day after the oil infusion, and one mare had the same an endometrial biopsy and a cytology performed four days 
evidence of the orange species. These are some images taken from this paper of Gilles Amrin and co-workers. On the left here, um, you can see what it looks like immediately after you shoot the oil into the uterus. So the oil is clearly visible in the very hyperpheric fluid uh, in the uterine lumen. And then in section B here in the middle, um, you can see what it looks like after you've massaged the uterus per rectum to disperse the oil. And you can see how the oil moves out and kind of um, lies within and on top of the endometrial fold. And then section C on the right-hand side here shows how that in at least some mares that oil is still visible within the endometrial folds of this hyperopoic uh, lines and fluid um, 48 hours after the oil infusion. What were the results of this paper? Well, very surprisingly, group one, so that was the group which had um, the larger quantities of one mil of fractionated coconut oil uh, infused into the uterus on day 10 post-ovulation. That group had a shorter time to luciolysis than either the control group or the group um, which had the, uh, a half a mil of the fractionated coconut oil. And of course, correspondingly, the progesterone levels in the group which received the one mil treatment also lower. When they looked at the biopsy results, the evaluation of endometrial biopsies um, reported there was a chronic mild lymphoplasmacytic inflammation infiltrate and mild to moderate neutrophilic inflammation, stratum patum, at both 24 and 96 hours after treatment, with occasional eosinophils also being reported. So, what does this all mean? Well, obviously, this paper. Um, failed to replicate the earlier results of Wilshire and Allen, um, which had suggested that intrauterine infusion of coconut oil was an inexpensive reversible method of prolonging luteal function. Indeed, in this study, very surprisingly, uh, treatment with one well of intrauterine coconut oil was associated with an earlier return to oestrus rather than a prolonged uh, diestrus period. The numbers of mares biopsied was obviously small, um, but that mild neutrophilic reaction which was reported after the oil infusion, does indicate an inflammatory response to the treatment. Uh, and we also suggested that that endometrial inflammation um, to the fractionated coconut oil may be the underlying cause of the shorter number of days to luteolysis um, in those treated mares. The second paper which I want to review, which again takes its origin in that initial paper of Wilshire and Allen's, uh, is a paper which has been recently published by the group which I work as part of at the Royal Weaponry College. And in one of those kind of happy coincidences that sometimes happens in research, um, we have decided to look at peanut oil in more detail um, at the same time that obviously, although we didn't know it at the time, uh, Gilles Amarin's group had decided to look at coconut oil in more detail. We took very much as our starting point the assumption um, that the interuterine infusion of peanut oil at day 10 post-ovulation would, as Wilshire and Allen had reported, cause prolonged diestrus. But what was worrying us as clinicians was that um, we really didn't have any information because that wasn't what the original study had been about, um, on whether that interuterine infusion of peanut oil would cause any damage to endometrial health, which is obviously relevant if you're planning to breed mares in the future, um, and indeed on whether it was a painful treatment for mares. So our objectives really were to um, provide further information on, on those two questions. We had six mares and they were using a crossover design. So each mare uh, on different oestrus cycles received either one mil of sterile intrauterine peanut oil at day 10 post-ovulation or a sham treatment. And the sham treatment 
um, consisted of the cervix being catheterized in exactly the same way as it was when we infused the oil, um, but no fuel at all was infused. And we looked at the effects of the intrauterine infusion of one mil of penis oil or the sham treatment on the interovulatory period. Um, on uterine fluid accumulation is determined by ultrasonography. On serum progesterone levels, on endometrial penny biopsy scores and the histology, uh, on endometrial eosinophil numbers, and because we were wanting to know whether or not the treatment was painful, on salivary cortisol measurement. What did our results show us? Well, overall, um, there was no significant difference in the interovulatory period um, when mares received a sham treatment or when they received the intrauterine penis oil at 10 days post-ovulation. But there was um, a noticeable mare-to-mare -mare variation. So when you look at this figure here on the right, uh, in these top four mares here, the intrauterine infusion oil didn't extend the interovulatory period beyond what would be expected under normal physiological conditions. However, in two mares, mares five and six down here, um, they did have a prolonged interovulatory period um, of 45 and 47 days. So although overall statistically we couldn't show an effective treatment, um, it's clear that there was mare-on-mare -mare variation and that in the two bottom mares at least, uh, the results were much more consistent with those reported by Wilshire and Allen. The good news was when we looked at the salivary cortisol results, um, there was no significant difference in salivary cortisol levels uh, in mares which received the treatment or the sham treatment at any time point. So it doesn't appear to be a painful treatment for mares. Um, one mare, and it was one of the mares who did not uh, experience an extended interovulatory period, did exhibit some behavioural signs of mild discomfort from about 10 minutes post-infusion to 30 minutes post-infusion, uh, but we didn't see any of those in the remaining five mares. When we looked at our ultrasonography results, uh, reassuringly, as you can see, our images are quite similar to those presented by Diel de Amarin's group. Um, ultrasonographic examination of the reproductive tract 24 hours after oil infusion uh, demonstrated what we've described as a delineating pattern in uterine horns in all of the mares. So this is very similar to the Diel de Amarin paper. You can see the oil here has kind of moved in between and is lining the endometrial folds. In four out of the six mares, and they were the four in whom treatment was not associated with a prolonged interovulatory period, we also saw hyperechoic free fluid of between half and three centimetres depth um, when we looked at the uterus 24 hours after the oil infusion. And that's interesting because, of course, that's more than we put in. We only put in a mill of fluid, so one assumes that the fact that then because we've got three centimetres of fluid um, indicates there's some kind of inflammatory reaction going on. When we looked at the biopsy results um, to try and determine what the effect of the oil treatment was on endometrial health, um, the good news was that overall there was no significant difference in the endometrial Kenny grades before or after the treatment with the peanut oil. In four out of six mares, there was no change whatsoever in the endometrial grade, and this was all um, assessed blind by a specialist pathologist. In two out of six mares, um, the Kenny grade for one of the two biopsies did deteriorate by one grade. Um, transiently after treatment, but when we re-biopsied those mares at the next uterus, it had returned to their pre-treatment levels. However, when we looked at um, the histology in detail, the four mares which returned to uterus rapidly after oil treatment um, didn't have a prolonged interovulatory period, all showed multifocal erosion of the surface epithelium, which is what you can see. This is before and this is after, before and after. 
Whereas in the mares which did have the extended interoblate period, we didn't see that. And in the mares which did have the surface epithelium erosion, um, it was sometimes associated with scattered subjacent or transmigrating neutrophils, um, which would be consistent with a surface or intraluminal irritation. The presence of the xenophils in the endometrial biopsies was noted in four out of the six mares um, after peanut oil treatment, but only one of them before peanut oil treatment. And when we quantified the endometrial sections before and after treatment, we found that the median number of xenophils in the endometrium was significantly increased by the peanut oil treatment. So what does all of this tell us? Well, it suggests that um, just as D.L. Dameron had shown for coconut oil, intrauterine infusion of peanut oil is at least temporarily detrimental to endometrial health. Because of the limitations of our licensing, we don't know how long that lasts. Um, but it's probably important that vets who are recommending the use of intrauterine peanut oil um, infusion as a way of suppressing estrogen mares should at least um, be aware of that possible at least temporary uh, detrimental effect on endometrial health, particularly bearing in mind that neither this paper nor the one published by D.L. Amarin nor the one published initially by Wilshire and Allen um, included any assessment of pregnancy rates in mare when they returned to eat after oral treatment. And then obviously, very similar to D.L. Amarin's work, um, which was on coconut oil, this study failed to demonstrate that intrauterine peanut oil is an efficacious method of estrogen suppression. I want to move on now to another um, paper which looks at an endometrial treatment in mares, which has been published uh, this year. This is a publication from Dr. Fraser and co-workers, which is looking at the treatment of uh, endometrium with chlorhexidine hydrochloride. Chlorhexidine would be a potentially useful um, treatment for us to all have in our armory for dealing with equine endometriosis, which of course is something which we all encounter extremely frequently in in the practice. And, and that would be so given that nowadays I think we would all agree routine non-targeted antibiotic use is no longer really acceptable um, and that bacterial culture and susceptibility panels typically take 48 to 72 hours or so uh, to get a, a reading. Um, so it would be very useful to have a general purpose disinfectant with a broad range of efficacy with which we could initiate treatment. And as an added advantage, at least for the time being, it seems um, that there's not a problem with bacterial resistance to these kind of antiseptic or disinfectant solutions. However, in 1979, uh, Jackson and colleagues had looked at the effects of chlorhexidine gluconate on the endometrium, which was about the time of the CM outbreak in this country, and they determined that concentrations above 0.25% caused profound inflammatory and fibrotic changes. So really, this paper by Dr. Fraser and her co-workers was looking uh, to revisit the question of the effect of chlorhexidine on endometrial health in order to ascertain whether or not it could be a useful treatment. They had 12 reproductively normal mares, which they divided into two groups. Uh, the group which was treated was treated with an intrauterine infusion of one gram uh, of chlorhexidine hydrochloride suspension. This was a commercial suspension called Novasin, available from Zoetis. Uh, and the control group was treated with an equal volume of lactated ringless solution. The mares were treated in estrus once daily for three days. Um, the ovaries and uterus were examined ultrasonographically before treatment each day on those three treatment days, um, and then again on days 3, 7, and 14 following the final infusion. And on those same days, 3, 7, and 14 after the final infusion, a biopsy and cytology samples were taken. They were all red blinded by our pathologist. This is an image from uh, this paper. You can see here that the suspension is clearly visible within the uterus. Um, 
and that a hyperechoic lining within the uterus was evident in five out of the six mares, as you can see here. In three out of six mares, so half of them, there is also between a centimetre and six centimetres of hyperechoic flocculent fluid within the uterine lumen on either day two or day three of treatment, and that had resolved in two of those three mares by day three and in the remaining mare by day seven after the last treatment. In terms of cytology, encouragingly, there was no inflammation identified as a result of treatment. When they looked at the biopsy results, one out of six mares had a downgrade in her biopsy at the end of the treatment period, and the same mare had a mild progression uh, from mild to moderate endometrial fibrosis, but in five out of six mares, the biopsy results were not affected by the treatment. So what does this all tell us? Well, the ability to visualize the solution within the uterus um, following the treatment indicates that the solution is staying within the uterus and presumably, therefore, is allowing sufficient contact time with potential pathogens. However, the fact that the solution is still visible three days after treatment in half of the mares um, is potentially a problem. This paper didn't look at what was going on between days three and seven, so we don't actually know exactly how long the solution persisted. And of course, if you treated the mare um, close to ovulation and the solution was in fact still there at day five or six post-ovulation when the embryo descended, uh, that could have uh, poor prognostic indications for embryo survival. So probably from a clinical point of view, it makes sense to be doing uterine lavage and using ecbolic agents uh, following the final treatment to make sure that all of the solution is indeed out of the uterus. It's also important to say and was um, emphasized very much by the authors that the goal of this study was to identify the adverse effects on the endometrial health and that no claims were being made by it about the efficacy of the product on infectious endometritis. So there's much more work to be done. Um, frustratingly, since the paper was published, the commercial preparation um, has gone off the market. It's not currently available. However, I thought it was an interesting paper. Um, it did show that three days of intuterine treatment uh, with chlorhexidine hydrochloride didn't seem to have a deleterious effect on endometrial cytology and histopathology 14 days um, after treatment. And it, it, at the very least, it seems to suggest to me that there's, um, it merits further investigation as to whether or not chlorhexidine has a useful role to play in the treatment of equine endometritis. Finally, I want to look at a paper published this year by Dr. Kahn and co-workers, um, which provides us with some interesting information about the possible mechanisms underlying persistent post-breeding-induced endometritis. We know from uh, previous studies that nitric oxide has a role in persistent post-breeding-induced endometritis in mares through an inhibitory effect on uterine contractility, and we also know that susceptible mares have higher amounts of nitric oxide in uterine secretion. The objective of this study, which was an in vitro study, was to test the effect of nitric oxide on spontaneous uterine contractility and to investigate whether that effect varied between the longitudinal and the circular muscle of the uterus. The hypothesis was that nitric oxide would have a dose-dependent inhibitory effect on spontaneous uterine contractility and that that effect would be irrespective of the muscle there. So as I said, it was an in vitro um, study. The methodology was quite complicated, but to outline it just very briefly, um, they took reproductive tracts from eight non-pregnant euthanized mares. The mares were examined by ultrasonography prior to euthanasia, um, A to determine what stage of the cycle they were at, and B to uh, rule out any reproductive abnormalities insofar as one can um, pick them up on that kind of examination. And then after euthanasia, they took uh, uterine tissue samples, some were used for histological evaluation, and then some were used to take uh, full thickness uterine tissue strips and to set up uh, these muscle strips. And they were set up in a tissue chamber 
um, a Bayesian solution and allowed to equilibrate. Spontaneous contractility was then um, assessed and recorded, and then these muscle strips were divided into two groups, the treatment groups, which was treated um, with a fluid, um, based in a fluid which contained a nitric oxide donor, that was the SNAP, and the um, time-matched vehicle control group, which had no nitric oxide in the um, solution. What did it show? Well, it showed that the mean contractility after treatment with the higher concentrations of nitric oxide containing solution was significantly lower than the mean pre-treatment contractility and the mean contractility after treatment with the lower nitric oxide concentration. Interesting, which goes against what you might think as a clinician, that the contractility didn't vary with age and uterine histology grade. So what are the implications? Well, it does uh, confirm that nitric oxide has a dose-dependent inhibitory effect on spontaneous uterine contractility, irrespective of the muscle layer. But the absence of group by age or group by uterine biopsy grade interaction suggests that in these older mares, uh, the susceptibility to post-breeding endometritis may not be so much related to the fact that they had increased uterine sensitivity to nitric oxide as that they have higher uterine concentrations of nitric oxide. Um, and that, as in all of the papers which I've reviewed, um, just really raises more questions than we've answered and leaves us with much more still to learn. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Maddie.